Well, amen. It's a blessing, and uh, thank you, Miss Darla, for working with the kids and uh, getting them all ready to go on all that, and a uh, tremendous blessing. <clears throat> One negative of uh, getting more kids up here, I couldn't look out, and I always enjoy watching the parental reaction to the children up here on the platform, because you have some that are like recording, and they're smiling, and, and then you have others that are going... And then you have the final group that's back there going, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, it's a blessing, and uh, they did a great job. I'm sure appreciate uh, you parents uh, keeping your kids in church. Um, boy, nothing, nothing greater you can do for your children than to keep them under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And uh, so thankful that you found uh, that worthy investment and have found uh, that God's Word has made an impact in your life and will make a difference in your kid's life as well. And uh, so grateful that we have the opportunity to look into God's Word here this morning. So let's take our Bible and go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and verse number 7. <clears throat> Simple idea this morning, uh, but there's definitely a lot, of, um, lot to unpack with it. And so we're just dealing with one verse here this morning. We've uh, entered a point in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've kind of kind of a mini-series within a series that we've entitled Wisdom in Ecclesiastes. It reads more like Proverbs than it does Ecclesiastes. And, of course, we understand the progression of the book thus far. The first six chapters or so dealt with this idea. Uh, this world is vanity when it is lived apart from God. So life lived apart from Lord Jesus Christ, apart from God and His principles, is vanity. It's empty. It's worthless. There's no value to it. And it's not only that, but it's vexation of soul and spirit. It's that trying to get ahead, trying to move forward, and never being able to attain. It's the donkey with the carrot on the fishing pole in front of him. He's just one step away from the carrot, but he's always one step away. And sometimes life can feel that way, and if you ever feel that way, maybe it's time to reevaluate, am I living life for the Son of God or living life under the Son or for this world system? And so there's been a transition at the end of chapter 6 where now Solomon is taking us to a point where he says, obviously life under the sun is not what God wants. So what does God intend for us? What does wise living look like? What does fearing God and keeping His commandments look like? And so we have these proverbial statements, wisdom that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes as we've made this shift. So if you found your place there in Ecclesiastes 7 and you're able to, let's stand together as we honor God's Word and read it here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 7. Just one verse uh, here this morning, Ecclesiastes 7, 7. So let's give good attention to the Word here this morning. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. And a gift destroyeth the heart. Titled the message here this morning uh, simply this, Even wisdom isn't foolproof. Even wisdom isn't foolproof. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here this morning. <clears throat> Uh, fog makes it pretty difficult to see. Uh, if you've ever been in dense fog advisory before, most of us, if you've driven any length of time, uh, you've probably driven in some dense fog before. 
They measure it by the visibility, you know, visibility is less than a mile and it can be pretty dangerous when you can't really see before. Now, uh, fog is basically like a cloud that's sitting on the surface of the earth. It's kind of an interesting thing. So if next time you're in a foggy situation, you can just look over at your spouse and like, get your head out of the clouds. And Okay, anyways, we'll move away from that. But fog makes things cloudy, foggy, words that we would use to describe. It becomes difficult to discern and to identify things. In dense fog, we might look out and we might say, I don't know if that's this or if it's that. I can't tell if that's a car or I can't tell if that's a, a cow, right? It's just hard to tell some things sometimes because of the fog. It makes it difficult to discern and to identify. Uh, so much so that we would say this, there's a vast difference between a foggy, dark environment and uh, an environment that is clear and in the daylight. There's a stark difference between the two, is there not? Absolutely. There's a huge difference between the two. Fog is often described by its visibility, how far you can see ahead of itself. Now, un unfortunately in the Christian life, I wish we had perfect clarity and were able to see everything that is coming down the road in the Christian life. But it doesn't usually work that way. Actually, most of the time we are looking ahead and we kind of get our five-year plan, our one-year plan, and we've got it all laid out. And then God has other ideas in mind. Uh, what person sits down and says, you know what, I plan on getting cancer this year. Nobody does that. Well, I plan on having difficulty with one of my children this year. Rarely does that happen. Do we sit down and we foresee the danger, or we foresee an issue or a problem that's ahead? Uh, oftentimes, we say it this way, in the Christian life, we can live in almost foggy environments. where faith comes into practice uh, so very uh, importantly is that we are living almost mile by mile for the believers, and we're saying this, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm relying on you. God, where I can't see, I'm trusting that you are leading and you are going to guide. Now, one of the most unfortunate things about the Christian life is that we can be wise and yet not be able to discern some danger that is ahead that we're unable to see and not realize that there is a trying of our faith that we might not be entirely prepared for. Shrouded in fog might be something that is not necessarily foolproof. By fool, we're talking about F-O-O-L. Uh, foolish, of course, and the Bible talks about behavior that is uh, uh, opposite of the Word of God, that which is uh, anti-God, that which is uh, against Him, that which is moving in an opposite direction, and even a life that is known by wisdom, and a man who wants to not only read but apply God's Word can become prey to falling into foolish behavior. So Solomon discusses this very issue in this very singular verse, but very important verse uh, here in the text that is before us. Now, he says in verse number seven, he says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man. Now, just for sake that we're all on the same page, I've already kind of explained this, but just again, so we're all on the same page with this. Uh, he says here, this is a wise man. Now, again, wisdom is different than knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what the Bible says and then applying it to your life. It is actually engaging God's word and doing what God has told you to do. 
So, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, I think they, they feel good, maybe because they come to a church service and they learn something and they go, that was good. And then they fail to implement it into their life. That's not good. What we really need is we need to not only hear God's word, but then apply it to our life and receive it to ourselves. So Solomon here in this text, he's helping us understand there is a wise man, somebody who is known by hearing God's truth and applying it to his life. Now, wisdom is not a difficult uh, thing to get, but it is obviously a difficult thing to develop long term. Uh, so we say this way, somebody who has lived a life of wisdom, it didn't just happen by accident. It was intentional. It was full of discernment and decision making where there was a, an event that happened and they said, I will choose right, move in the right direction. And so it's a life that is known by discernment and right application of God's word. It's somebody who has worked at it over and over and over again. But here's the dangerous thing. Somebody who has spent their entire life working on wisdom and trying to apply biblical proof, proof uh, to their life, it can all come crashing down in a moment, in an instant. All it takes is one foolish action to destroy a testimony in a person's life. So I'm going to say here this morning before we start digging into the text, maybe just ask a little bit of this question here this morning. What would it take... For you to stop serving Jesus. What would it take in your life for you to say, you know what, I'm done with the Christian life. I'm done with walking with Jesus. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking like I would be if I were in your pew. I'd be kind of thinking this, nothing. There's nothing that would ever cause me to bail on Jesus. There's nothing that would ever make me want to lead the life of faith and, and, and quit following the Lord and living the life of wisdom. But Solomon here presents two very real-life applications that, if you look back over history, have caused some to leave the faith, have caused some to walk away from the Lord, to walk away from service of the Lord, and to move in an opposite direction, to become fools. Unfortunately, wisdom is not entirely protected. And so we're going to look at our text here. There's two things that he points out, which is this, blackmail and bribery. Blackmail and bribery. So he mentions the first part of this. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. So the word oppression here literally means to cruelly treat someone. An unjust treatment. Literally the text kind of holds this idea. Blackmail. Holding something over someone. Now, uh, some commentators were kind of split on the view of this, but I think it's pretty clear based on where we're at and what Solomon's been talking about that this is somebody who is a non-believer, somebody who has malicious intent, who is attacking the believer with some form of blackmail in their life. Now, the wise man may be oppressed by another this person who's oppressing them and giving them, extorting them, requiring them to do something so that they can be silenced. Now, this verse says that extortion or this uh, blackmail will cause a wise man to be mad. The word mad here is not that they're angry. It's mad in the sense of being a fool. So th this, whatever this person does to them, this blackmail that they hold over them 
is so persuasive that it causes the individual to behave like a fool, to go mad. And so this is obviously a pretty dangerous thing that's being set before us here. Now, it would be difficult for us to put into uh, mind what, what would cause this. What would cause somebody to have some form of blackmail placed over them that would cause them to move away from the faith, quit acting in wisdom, and start acting in fool? Well, we have some examples in history of those who would, if we want to use the term blackmail loosely, those who would say, you're going to die unless you do this. Martyrs throughout the ages. I'm, I'm thankful we have testimonies, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read a bunch of other, even modern day stuff, where there are those who are presented with, recant Jesus or die, and they said, I'll die because I will never leave Jesus. But for all those who took that strong stand of faith, there are those who recanted and those who have been willing to say, uh, you know what, uh, it's not worth it. I'd rather live. And so a form of, of blackmail here of holding something over them, you either will do this or this is going to happen to you. I think it would be a, a little bit more challenging for me, just being transparent here this morning, is if, you know, for me, I, I'd be willing to lay down my life. I might not be as open to laying down my family's life. Now, I'll be honest with you, that would be the right thing. But it, if we're honest with ourselves, that would be a hard thing to do, would it not? Someone to come in and have your family there and say, you either reject Jesus and turn from him or your family dies. A form of, of blackmail. You're going to do what I tell you or else this is going to happen. What about financial matters? Maybe it seems a little less weighty, but it still is something that could be very true of somebody coming in and saying, you're either going to reject this Jesus stuff or it's going to affect you financially. Now, this maybe starts hitting more real world application where we are now, that there are those who say, you're either going to stop serving the Lord, or you're going to stop being a Christian, or you're losing your job. Or you're no longer going to have this type of retirement package, or you're no longer going to have this money. You say, could that ever happen? Come on. I don't know where our world is going entirely, but if you look back over history, you would see there have not always been friendly governments towards this book and towards those who believe this book. Amen. And if we're naive to think that our country is not moving in a direction that is against the Word of God, uh, we've got our head buried in the sand. Amen. And so it would be one thing to say this, hey, there could be those who would be hurting the well-being of us and our family, that it maybe isn't something of, well, we're going to kill them, but it's saying this, we're going to seize your possessions. You're going to prison. You can't be preaching that stuff. You can't be believing that stuff anymore. That kind of puts it in a new light. Maybe this, uh, speaking of a blackmail, you have somebody from your past that shows up. I know you started believing all this Jesus stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't give up on Jesus, I've got all kinds of dirt on you. I'm going to let your whole church know about it. Blackmail. Extortion that's being brought out on them of saying, hey, you're either going to do what I want you to do. This embarrassing moment. Listen, we could go on and on of list of things that could happen. That people are going to come and they're going to say, hey, this oppression, as he calls it there in verse number 7, that a wise person could fall prey by this oppression, somebody coming along and putting pressure on them and saying this, you either will or I'm going to do this. Recant, recant Christ or die. Quit going to church. Quit taking a stand for Christ. 
Quit giving to the church. Quit praying. Quit reading your Bible. Now, I'm thankful we have examples in the Scripture and throughout history of those who are faced with these very real issues that many of us will probably never face in our lifetime, and yet they took a stand for Christ. All you have to do is read the book of Daniel. You'll find plenty of examples. Yeah, um, there were the three Hebrew children that you either bow or you burn. Well, what is that? Well, it's oppression. Pressure that is placed on them, extorting them. You will do this or else. I can imagine, you know, we put ourselves in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's place. Sometimes we're reading the Bible story and we're like, oh yeah, I'm right there with them. Let me be honest with you. You're sitting there and you're like, you got these thousands of people, leaders of Babylon there that are bowing down to this statue. And uh, Come on, there's a lot of pressure there. All this music's being played, all the fanfare. I think we minimize to some extent how much it took for them to stand when everyone else bowed. And then being drug up. Now, I know you guys didn't really mean this. You better recant right now. And they go, no, we meant to stand. And he's over there and he heats the furnace up and the guys heating the furnace up die because they're heating it up and they throw them in there. Man, they didn't know what the result was going to be. We think we would stand because we know, hey, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to go in the fire with Jesus, you know, but they didn't know that was what the result was going to be. They were fully prepared to die for that cause. What about Daniel? Whoever prays to anybody but the, the God of Babylon, the king of Babylon, will be cast into the den of lions. And Daniel did the same thing he did every single day. I love that reality too. These guys didn't take a stand because somebody got in their face and said, you either or you won't. It was just their already their normal life and they just kept living the right life. Now, I think some people are waiting for a death-defying situation to show up and you're not even living for the Lord now. Live for the Lord now. Live a life of wisdom now. What I'm saying is, is when that moment comes, live the life of wisdom then. Listen, Solomon presents here that there is great danger of people recanting wisdom and living a life of faith because of that pressure that's put on. But it's not the only one. There's not only uh, blackmail that's presented here, but notice at the end of verse number 7, he says, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Blackmail could be a dangerous thing, but bribery can be just as dangerous. You know, I, I honestly, I think if I were to boil it down, what is the number one issue with our, our government right now? You know, people say term limits on senators and representatives and this, that, and the other. I think if, you, if I were to boil it down, the more I think about it, I'd say this. The biggest issue with our government right now is bribery. That there are the lobbyists who have paid... And now there's an expectation that they will perform or they will not get back in office. It's a dangerous situation, isn't it? Now, when we think about that in a government situation, in the Christian faith, he presents it in the same way. That a gift or somebody who is given something, and it's not a real gift, it's a gift that kind of has strings attached. It's a bribe that's given. Well, what happens? It destroys the heart. A person who has a heart for God, a person who has a heart for the Scripture, a person who has a heart for the Lord and a heart for wisdom, it will destroy that heart if they give in to a gift. If you were desperate in need of something, circumstances arose where you desperately needed something. I think about something like food, money, clothes, shelter, medicine. Again, just kind of drawing some scenarios here. If my son, Nate, who's sitting down here in the front, 
pick on him a little bit. If my son Nate had some terrible disease and we were in some country where that was unavailable to get the treatment that he needed, and somebody came along and they said, we'll treat him, but you need to recount any affiliation with Jesus. That, come on, that, that'd be a hard decision to make, would it not? A bribe that was being placed there, something saying, I'll give this to you, but you must do this. If you had always wanted something, maybe a dream, some view of something, an item, a property, a possession that you always desired. Hey, we'll put this in the will and we'll write this to you, but you can't be a believer any longer. Right? Absolutely. Maybe if it was something you would greatly benefit another person you loved. Advance a child, advance financially, advance even your church or your community if you would just do this. To give up Christian principles and walk with the Lord in order to receive anything would be foolishness. Now, the thing about this, <clears throat> again, maybe a downer of a message this morning, didn't mean it that way, but let's say this this morning. I think if you look down the road, it seems like life is wonderful. I mean, if you got your five-year plan, nobody anticipates problems. When I think about my family and them growing up, I don't ever think about persecution, martyrdom, people being, do this or else. But I'll say this, I don't know. I don't, I don't have this magic uh, hourglass. I can just look ahead in time and say, this is what's going to happen. You say it this way, you kind of live in fog. We, we only know the day that's presented before us, and we, we want to live it for the glory of God and the time that's given us. We're here for Sunday school. We, we talk about time and the investment of using our time wisely for the Lord. Let's say this, you've been given today and we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow and you kind of live in this fog and who knows what's going to happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Amen. Who knows if there's going to be something that happens in your personal life? Who knows if there's going to be something that happens in a global scale? Who knew COVID was going to happen, right? Well, that came out of nowhere. We, we don't know what's on the docket that's ahead for us, but you need to become resolute in this fact. I will live a life of wisdom. I will live a life not under the sun, but live a life that is for the Son of God. I'm telling you, if we don't become resolute in our convictions and we don't make the decision beforehand, when we are approached with one of those difficult times of blackmail or bribery, it can be one of those things where it can be a great temptation on our heart. As I look back over the eons of history since Christ died on the cross, and I think about all the martyrs that have died and all those who have made great sacrifice for the cause of Christ, I say this, they didn't make the decision on the spot. A decision was made before they ever got there. Amen. They made a resolute decision in their life where they said, like Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm all in on this thing. Whether I live or die, whether I'm rich or poor, whether I get everything or lose everything, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world has to offer. They became resolute in their faith. They became firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. And because of that, when the decision point came, it was one of those, uh, there is no contest here. I want to live a life of wisdom. I want to live a life of truth and live for the Lord, regardless of what it will cost me. But here's where it kind of rubber meets the road. It asked a question as we started the sermon here this morning. What would it take you to quit living for Jesus, to quit serving Jesus. Present some pretty extreme uh, cases here. Here's, here's the scary truth. We kind of end on this. There's a lot of people 
who it takes a lot less to quit following the Lord. Well, my kids got a little league game on Sunday. So they get out of church. And they get away from the Lord. I understand church attendance isn't everything. Granted. Say this. But time over time I've seen it. Where people allow little things to get their heart away from the Lord. Well, I could just get a little bit over time. Well, I could just do this. I could just have this. And they allow the faith to fall by the wayside. They allow wise living to fall by the wayside for much less than blackmail or bribery. Don't allow anything to come between you and your relationship with the Lord. Amen. It ought to be paramount. And then kind of put a positive spin on this here the, this morning. Maybe you need to become resolute in your mind like those of ancient times who have made this decision. It doesn't matter what comes before me, whether it's little or big. I'm making this decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm making a decision right now. I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. And I'm telling you, you make that decision and it'll be tested. Don't be surprised when that happens. It'll be tested. So the question here this morning, what would it take for you to quit following the Lord, to quit living for Jesus? And I hope the answer here this morning truly is this, nothing. There is nothing that would cause me to leave following the Lord. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.